I do. I do magic tricks for my kids. Because when I was 12, I wanted to be a magician. Not like, oh, that'd be fun. I got to work. Like, I started preparing, started practicing, worked really hard at it, bought some tight pants. Uh, it was a... Um, it was an odd time in my life. But it has left me with the ability to, for, to a child, make something disappear. Or know what to do with sleight of hand and all that. And now they want to do, now they want to do magic. And so they'll, they'll say, we were actually just sitting there and Mason put some money in my hand. She said, I'm going to do a trick. I said, okay. She said, close your eyes. She had a, a coin, several coins in my hand. I could feel her tiny little finger reaching in there to pull the coin out. And then she opened my hand, and she said, open your eyes. And she opened my hand, and there was only five coins instead of six, which I didn't, I hadn't counted them before. She looked at me, and she said, there used to be one there. And I said, all right. Now, she, at that point, said, let's do it again. Close your eyes. So I closed my eyes. And I felt her pull one out and drop it, which was my chance when she was misdirected to put all the coins in my other hand and then close my hand again. <laughs> and she, 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 she said, now open your eyes. And I said, open my eyes. She opened my hand. And nothing was there. <laughs> and she said, and I said, how'd you do that? And she, <laughs> she said, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's, uh, the, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it, it just struck me there that it, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, sometimes that's the answer we're going to get. It's almost as if, if God is working things in us, like He's doing all the work, He's doing all of the effort for all of the, all of the um, beautiful effects, but it feels like we're doing that and people will look at us sometimes and they'll say, how'd you do that? How'd you forgive them? How did you love that person? How were you patient with that person? And we will say, I don't know how I did that. But it was pretty cool. I've never really done that that well, but here, here I am doing it, and it works. And so God is, is, um, is working with us because He loves to work with us. But when I say that, sometimes, sometimes we can get caught up when we go through lists like this where we say we've got to love better or have more joy or have more peace. Be more patient. Be more kind. But when we say we've got to do these things, sometimes you might get the impression that I'm saying just, if you could just do these things, then you'd be happy. If you could just do this a little better, then your life will be set. And I don't want to come across that way because that's just flat not true. That happiness is a myth. In the end, you're just not going to be as happy as you want to be. There's no magic bullet. No, there's no secret ingredient. There's no special equation that if you just do this and then do that, then you'll all of a sudden be happy. You'll find fulfillment. But joy and love and patience are much higher things to chase than happiness. Joy and love and patience and kindness... And goodness, those 
These are things that if we chase them, the reward is in and of themselves. They're not going to make you happier, but happiness isn't the virtue. Chasing love will make you love more, and that's the reward. But even better still is finding in God a love that was beyond yourself. Because He desires to produce that within you. My friend Nathan is a uh, junior high band director. The first time I ever met Nathan, he and I had a discussion in which I think it's tough. I think it would be tough to be a junior high band director. That means that you've decided that you want, to, um, you want to produce music for a living. And you've chosen as your vehicle junior high students. That's like, I want to wash cars for a living, and I've got this toothbrush. It just feels like you're, you're working too hard to get, working super duper hard to get shall we say, less than stellar music. Although it's great, and Nathan does a great job with those kids. But the thing with, the, thing, the reason Nathan got into uh, being a junior high band director is not, or a band director altogether, is not because he wants the music to be perfect. He, it's because he wants to teach kids to enjoy music. That's how God feels about us. He did not get into this so that our love and our joy and our peace and our patience and our, just our community and our kingdom and our church and our people can be perfect, but because He wants to show us what it would be like if it was. He wants us to have moments where we, where we spark and we say, oh, that's love. He wants us to have moments where we, where we these, these peaks of joy. And in those peaks we can say, that's God, but he's, he, God is not wanting perfection from his people. He's wanting love from his people. And it may come in spurts, and it may be better in one place than it is in the other, but it does, that doesn't mean that you're digressing. It means that God's working within you. And it's worth every bit of your effort. And he thinks it's worth every bit of his effort. Because in the end... It's not us, it's not our effort that's doing this. We believe that Jesus indwells within us through the Holy Spirit. And that 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 the Holy Spirit produces within us joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that list starts out by saying these are fruit. These are things that are produced within you. They're grown. If you put, uh, get a seed out, out of an apple, stick it in the ground, and then scream that there's no apples, you are a crazy person. Growing an apple takes a long time. You first have to grow a tree. Just because the fruit is eventually produced doesn't mean that it was a long that it wasn't a long, slow process to get there. And if I can run with this analogy, just one more step. You will have seasons where your fruit is better than others. 
You just will. You will have times of your life when you're better at loving, times in your life when you're better at having, finding joy, and that's okay too. That's normal. And sometimes when you come to church and you look around and you see all these people loving each other, you see all these people having joy, and you have all these, and they, we're at our best here sometimes. And you can look around and think, well, that's not really me. I don't fit in with that group. And I'm here to tell you, there's times I love really well and there's times I love really poorly. And I am joyful a lot of the time and there are times where I am not in a good mood. There are times where I, I there have been times and there are times where I battle depression. There are times where, where I, I, I am impatient. There are times where I'm not thankful. There are times where I'm not very good. But all the more to glorify the God who is working with us to produce within us a fruit that we could not have produced on our own. I was, I was in band. I was a drummer. Um, so I, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot to learn. Um, just the stick, thing, hit, you know, that's it. You know, you're, you know you're talented when a caveman could have taught you your instrument. So I was a drummer, so I had to go to every band concert. Back in my day, we didn't have a junior high band concert. We had like, was that, was, y'all had every group there Thursday night. But then there was always beginner band concert. And at, um, at beginner band concert, they always um, played the same songs, I thought. And there was the clarinet section. Now, the clarinet is a tough instrument to learn. It's got a reed on it. You've got to do one thing with the top of your mouth and one thing with the bottom of your mouth, and they're different. Um, and those reeds can be cantankerous if you don't position them right, and you've got to keep them moving the whole time. I played clarinet for a day in a jazz band one time. They taught me how, and then I played the seven notes, and my head was hurting, and so I quit. But anyway, clarinet's a tough instrument to learn. So what you have is if they're playing joyful, joyful, the clarinet sounds like this. Like, there's those notes that they, they just lose control. They just can't, they can't play it. It just comes out. And I think, so, but we, we can focus on those. We can focus on, if someone just came to you after the concert and said, how was the clarinet? You'd say, most of the time, they played the right note. But if, if you focused on the time they didn't, which were few and far between, you wouldn't get to celebrate the notes, the music that was played between the brokenness. And so what we have with our fruit sometimes is we say, well, the, I, we focus on the time we're not joyful or the time, time we're not that great or the time we're not that patient. But what you find is that really in between those times, God's been doing something great in your life. And he would hate it for you if all you focused on was your brokenness. Because he came down because of your brokenness to make you something bigger than what you are. I think the thing I think the most is that I, I am not, I don't have enough faith. I know people who talk about miracles. 
Like I, I laid my hands on this person and their jaw quit hurting. I thought, ah. I'm going to be honest with you. When people tell me that, I think, whatever. I don't, I shouldn't. I should give God glory, I suppose. But I just don't, like my, I, I should. I should give God glory. But like my instinct, my, my gut reaction is very, very suspicious. And then there's times that I think, well, my, my faith is just not, that, not there. My faith isn't good. I don't have good faith. And so whenever the fruit of the Spirit says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, I think, well, that one I'm failing in. Now, the problem is, though, when I have those moments, is what do I mean when I say faith? Faith is one of those words that I think it could mean seven or eight different things when you say the word. When you say that someone is faithful, you can mean that either they are reliable, you can mean that they really believe in God, you can mean on a different level that they they really believe that God, that if you just pray this certain prayer, God will be forced to do this certain thing, or God will do this certain thing. Faith can mean a lot of different things. But before we continue, let me just let me define for you what I mean in my best moments when I think God is doing something in me and my faith is growing. Here's my faith. Here's what faith is to me. The way I understand it from the scripture. Faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said He did. That's faith. I've said this before, but sometimes I have difficulty with the idea that people can have more faith or less faith. Because faith to me is an understanding that moves me to action. That I I understand that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died on the cross, that that he was buried, that he raised on the third day. And that he is now... God's king, as the Bible describes him. You may say, I've never heard that. Um, in the Bible, whenever it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, um, that's their language for king. They wouldn't have said king, they say Lord. So, the way we understand king is the way they understood Lord. Only Caesar was Lord back then, and he was essentially the king. So, Jesus, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He died on a cross, he rose from the grave. He is now king, and he, and he has sent his spirit. And I, I believe that that's true. I have a hard time believing more that it's true. If that makes sense. It, um, let me, I actually saw some head shakes. Okay, there's a pin. There's actually two pins up here. I'm not going to show them to you. There's two pins up here. Two pins on the pulpit. One's pink, one's white, and they both have black in, on them. One has white writing from the Mineral Springs Church of Christ. Oh, wow, we, we make pink pins. Okay. So we have, we have, I have two pins up here. Now, most of you probably believe me. Some of you think I'm a scoundrel and I can lie really well. I can't lie that well. I'm actually really bad at poker, I would assume, because, you know, I've never played. <laughs> but there... There are. I'm really that, so I, I, I can't lie really well. So, um, but there are. So some of you believe me. 
Some of you have faith that I'm not going to tell you a lie. All right. Believe it more. Anyone having a hard time doing that? Like it's hard. Like if I cognitively believe something, yes, I believe it. Believing it more is is difficult cognitively. For me, it's an on-off switch. Now, here's the test of faith in Christian life. If you, after church, need a pen, and you remember, Benjamin said there was a pen up here, and so you walk up here to get your pen. That's what Christian faith is. It's not the cognitive on-off switch where I believe and then I can somehow believe more. Christian faith is because I, yes, I've switched it on, I believe. Because I believe, I am moving and doing and acting and living based on what I believe. So if I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, if I believe that He does live in me, if I believe that He can um, produce love from me, that He can make me more joyful, that He can make me have more self-control, as we'll talk about soon. If I believe all of that, then I need to live based on that belief. More faith is not being, faith being produced, like they're not like a little bit of faith and then your faith grows, isn't believing harder, it's letting your life be affected by your beliefs more often. Does that make sense? Okay, that's what I mean by faithfulness. Now, one of the problems we run into here is we think faithfulness, having more faith, living out our faith, is completely dependent on our efforts. But here we go, right in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit. We've talked about love being produced from within us, joy being produced from within us. Jesus is interested in growing your Faith, making you more faithful. This isn't something you are you have been left on an island to learn on your own. Because Jesus, the faith we have in Jesus affects our lives, and it's Jesus within us helping us to grow that faith. Earlier in Galatians, something happens that um, that you would be uncomfortable with. I think. Uh, Paul's telling a story about, he's writing these people in this, there's an area of churches, the Galatian province. So there's a bunch of churches in this area. And he's writing this letter to these people, and he's reminding them of a time when Peter, he calls uh, Cephas, we'll call him Cephas since we're in Arkansas. Um, there, Peter is in... Um, in the provinces of Galatia with Paul. And Peter is eating and loving these Gentile people, the people who are not Jews. And then some people from Israel show up, people from Christians from Jerusalem, sent from James, show up and um, come to these churches. At that point... All the Jewish people, the Israel, the Jewish people, Jewish Christians sit at one table, and all the Gentiles sit at the other table. And Peter makes a choice to sit 
with his own nationality, his own race, his own religious group. And at that point, as soon as they showed up, he wouldn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. Now, this makes Paul, as you might understand, a little bit upset. Now, some of you who've read the Gospels quite a bit said, you know what, this kind of does sound like Peter. Paul set, gives a long speech to Peter, which he then records here in Galatians, about you think just, just doing the right thing, being with the right group is what saves you, like appearing to have more faith because you're with them. Here's what he says. When I saw, he's talking about this act, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not just... Notice when Paul... Paul often will say sinful Gentiles. And he'll say, you're a Jew and you're not sinful. Paul needs a sarcastic font, like most of us do. When he's sending his messages, there are times Paul is not serious, like he is, he uses rhetoric, sarcasm, he, he's, he's hard to keep up with. We, who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ. Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Even when we say we're having faith and faith is what saves us, sometimes we miss the point that Jesus is the one who gives us faith. That the Spirit is the one who produces faith within us, produces an, a, a faithful life. That we, we, we believe that Jesus is who He says He is. So therefore, when we, when we live out that faith, we are looking differently so he says it is we put our faith in christ jesus that we may be justified by faith in christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified but if in seeking to be justified in christ we jews find ourselves also among the sinners doesn't that mean that does that mean that christ promotes sin absolutely not if i rebuild what i destroyed then i really would be a lawbreaker for through the law i died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. All right, when I say, real, real quick, when I say, when I've been, I've been crucified with Christ, me and Christ, me and Jesus, standing there together, I've been crucified with Him. Who took the harder blunt of that one? Like, I didn't, I wasn't literally crucified. Jesus was actually crucified. So I bear in his faithfulness. He was faithful to God's plan. And so I get to join in with his faithfulness. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This Jesus, who we have faith in, is producing faithfulness within us. And you may say, how did that happen? How did I do that? You don't have to know. This is not an equation you have to figure out. This is not a a, a doctrine you have to completely understand. It's just something that happens. 
The more you're with Jesus, the more faithful your life will look. Some of you have people like this. Rachel once told me um, that uh, this was early on, and she might not remember it, and if you ask her about it later, she may tell you she didn't say this, but she said this. <laughs> Speaking of, there's a marriage class tonight. And it's like, I'm, I am so super excited about it that I might just get done with this sermon and teach the marriage class and send you home for the day. It is, I'm really excited about it. Please come to this. It'll be good. Um, but she, she once told me, uh, there was this time we dated for a little bit and then um, someone broke up with somebody. And then, uh, and, then, and then we got back together and she told me, she said, I wasn't as funny without you. Okay. I'll, whatever brings you back. But there, there was a, um, like there are people that you're around, if you're around them enough, you change, you look like them. And so the more, the more you're, um, I, have, I have a friend of mine, Jim Martin, I spent a lot of time with him um, for, for a long period of time. Uh, eating at his house, um, talking about Bible and ministry with him. And I became a better minister because I was around Jim Martin. It works with Jesus the same way. The more time you spend around the, the most faithful man who ever lived, the one who lived out his faith in God more than anyone has ever lived out their faith in God, the more faithful you will be. It just works. I don't know why. Um, have you ever visited a foreign country and by the end you're kind of speaking in the accent? Horribly, I might add. You're saying mon and stuff. Mon. The more you're around something, the more you connect yourself with something, they produce things in you. It's just the way community, it's the way relationships work. This whole sermon is just to tell you that some of you may feel like you don't have enough faith, but you're not alone in that battle. All of us here are raising our hands saying, me too, I don't have enough faith. But also, secondly, we have a Savior who did have enough faith and He's willing to walk alongside us and work with us. And it is a slow process. Monday, your faith, you won't wake up and think, you know what? Today feels like I'm more faithful. You won't. You're going to want results like that. You're going to want to microwave the fruit of the Spirit. But don't microwave fruit. It just doesn't work. And I'm just killing that analogy today. <laughs> Benjamin took a moment in his sermon today to talk about how good he was doing. That's what you do. <laughs> but hey. The Holy Spirit's good. The... um. So we, it's not going to be an immediate process. It's not going to be something that just overnight happens and we're going to want that. But just, if we just trust God along the way, if we just connect with Him through prayer and through study and through our relationships and through our church, six years from now you may look back and say, you know, I feel like I'm more faithful today than I was six years ago. But you're not going to notice it six weeks from now. It's going to be such a slow process that you're going to wake up one day and realize, yeah, I guess we can all say I'm, I, I'm, 
probably a better Christian than I was 20 years ago. But it's hard to try to make that, uh, that estimation two days ago. Are you a better Christian today than you were Friday? It's hard, it's hard to make that judgment. It is a slow growth. It is a long process. But it is, but it is God who is giving the growth. He is the one who has invested in his time in us so that we can produce the music he has called us to produce. No matter how sloppy or out of rhythm it might be at times. It was the process that got us there. The day I die, I will not be as faithful as I've always wanted to be. But the day I die, God will be as faithful as he's always needed to be. Our faithfulness comes from the one who was faithful. Our joy comes from the one who was joyful. Our love comes from the one who has loved us the most. You may feel like you don't have enough faith. And I would argue that might be because you're trying to do it all on your own. Now, I would also probably point out that it, you may think it's something that you need right away. Keep planting seeds. And let God do the growth. Part of faithfulness is trusting in this process. Trusting that if I just keep, if I just keep doing the thing, then God will keep doing his thing. It's part of faithfulness. I will add this. Most of the time we talk about faith, not having enough faith, having enough faith is when we have moments of life or death. Um, someone is ill, someone is sick, so we pray. You hear the stories over and over again. I prayed, I prayed, and we had enough faith, and they survived. And I've, told, I've said this before, one of my dear friends growing up um, beat cancer three times, and we praised God every time. He was three for four in his fights with cancer. What about the last time? God hates cancer, God hates disease, God hates diabetes and Alzheimer's and heart disease as much as we hate them. Because he knows that all the bad things, all the brokenness in the world, all eventually winds its way disastrously toward death. So instead of coming down and beating heart disease and beating diabetes and conquering cancer and conquering Alzheimer's and conquering and just car accidents and tragedies and depression and brokenness, instead of conquering all those things, he just came and beat death. Our faith is not in the God who beat cancer. Our faith is in the God who beat death. When we have faith in him, sometimes our, it's going to be tr tragic here and there, and God hates are the fact that we live in a broken world. But he beat it for us. Where it all ends, where it all winds up, he beat it. And when we have faith in that, we can be afraid, or we should be afraid of nothing. 
If I get cancer, I might die from that cancer. I understand that. Um, it might be quick, it might be slow, it might be an easy go, it might be tough. But my faith should not falter because of cancer, because the God I follow didn't claim to beat it. But my faith should also not falter because of death, because the God I follow, the God I worship, beat death. Faithfulness is living your life accordingly. I am unafraid. That's why the number one command in the Bible is do not fear. That's the command spouted the most. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Do not be afraid to talk to that person or to say that thing or to have that conversation or confess that sin. Do not be afraid to, to, uh, to come back to God, to question. If, if you need to question God, question God. Paul did, David did that all the time in the Psalms. If you're angry at God, tell God how angry you are at him. If you're frustrated, say you're frustrated. If you're joyful, tell them how fr- joyful you are. If you're excited, tell them you're excited. Faithfulness is acknowledging that he has done what he said he would do and everything we do matters to him. How we live now matters to God. And that how we live here, while important, it's not our own works that will redeem us. It was the faithfulness of Jesus that does. And His faithfulness to God's plan can be used to instill more faithfulness in our lives. Slowly, progressively, you will change. And we will give God the glory when we do. If you felt like you haven't had enough faith, you maybe want to connect with this Jesus who does. And today's the day to do it. If you haven't lived out that life that you were hoping to live, if you, if you need help from your congregation, because that's one, that's one way the Spirit works, is through other people. There's people I know who have helped me be more patient. I shouldn't give that person the credit. I should give God the credit through working through the Spirit through them to me. If you need help from the congregation, from the church, we're here for you. Come down front, raise your hand, say, I'm a sinner, and we'll all raise our hands and say, me too. We'll celebrate in the grace of God and the faithfulness of Jesus together. Whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.